The SAFE Coalition exists to provide our community with the support it needs as it grapples with our nation's number one health epidemic, substance use disorder. On today's program, we'll talk about the SAFE Coalition and some exciting announcements regarding new services coming to our community. So stay tuned for a conversation with the SAFE Coalition coming up next on Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we are going to talk about the SAFE Coalition and the many different programs and supportive services it has brought to the Franklin area and the nine member communities that it represents. And to help us do that, I have the coalition president and founder, Jennifer Knight. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Jim. And in addition to Jen, I have my friend and fellow board member, Steve Spiewakowski. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Jen, could you share with us the mission of the SAFE Coalition? Absolutely, Jim. The mission of the SAFE Coalition is to provide education, prevention, and treatment options for those living in the nine communities and beyond that we support. Really, with the SAFE Coalition, we want to provide opportunities for people to feel successful in their recovery with substance use and to really understand what opportunities they have to learn around about substance use. You know, Jen, the history of, of I'm going to call it, the history of addiction and substance use disorder in our community is one that has really only changed dramatically in the past three years, markedly since the coalition's been around, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, in addition to some of the uh, supportive services that SAFE offers, you've got some partners that you incorporated in, in to help, say, family members, for instance, uh, deal with uh, the pressure. The whole family gets sick, don't they? They do. No one goes through substance use alone and what we were recognizing three and a half years ago is that when we recognized that someone had a substance use concern, we called it substance abuse, and we were very focused on working with that individual person. Right. Of course, upon talking with someone and moving through support and treatment, we recognized that it was never just one person living with concerns that led to substance use. It was really a whole family system concern. And that really was an evolving understanding, I think. Uh, I know it was for me. <laughs> and I know a lot of parents that are facing the same challenge. It is a it is an understanding that evolves as you start to realize that the illness is an illness, number one, that you didn't cause it, you can't control it, meaning the parent or the loved one, uh, and you can't cure it. And that leaves you with a gnawing feeling that you are powerless. And indeed, until you get in my experience, when I see people, until they're comfortable with that notion and they start to help themselves, then it is a, it's a very, very difficult journey. So in order to become comfortable with that notion and even to come into that understanding, we have partnered with Learn to Cope. And Learn to Cope is a wonderful organization, which is peer-to-peer -peer support group dealing with um, substance use disorder and, and the impact that it has on family members. And Jen, you also have Healing Hearts, which is a really intimate group. Uh, how does how do those organizations support the mission of the Safe Coalition? Well, between Learn to Cope and Healing Hearts, we want to support the whole family dynamic. There's so much shame and then so much blame placed upon family members, whether you're the sibling or the parent or the caretaker. There isn't a real understanding yet on how to support someone who's living on the outsides of the addiction. And so for Learn to Cope, we were able to partner with them. We were able to bring a Learn to Cope chapter to the town of Franklin, which now meets on Monday evenings and has 30 to 40 
people every week attending. Mm-hmm. And then the other program that we have is Healing Hearts. And Healing Hearts, as you had mentioned, is a more intimate group. This is for a group of people who ha- are, are going through a loss of mm-hmm. some kind, whether mm-hmm. their loved one has passed away or their loved one is going to detox or they have asked their loved one to take a break from their immediate household or their life for the for the moment in time. Mm-hmm. And what we hope for with Healing Hearts is that families can come together at a really emotional place and recognize, one, that they aren't alone, and two, that this moment isn't forever. Right. And, and that's so important. And and the key, nobody can should want to, nor is it effective to try to tackle any of this stuff alone. And it's important that everybody know that they're part of a big community that understands. I want to just mention that Learn to Cope does meet at the Unitarian Universalist Church right here in Franklin. It's at 262 Chestnut Street, and uh, that is every Monday night at 7 p.m. You'll find yourself warmly greeted by people that understand, and you will definitely know you're not alone. And as always, you can call the Safe Coalition support line at 508-488-8105. If you or a family member find yourself with questions or needing support of any type, and you will get a call back, and you will be uh, warmly embraced by a community that does care. Jen, um, uh, you mentioned education in the mission statement, so we just talked a little bit about support uh, and education. What does education look like around the issue of substance use disorder? Education has evolved a lot over the past few years. Originally, when we started, we wanted to educate those living with addiction what their options and opportunities were for a life of recovery. Now, as a coalition has developed and as we've been meeting with people in the community, our role for providing education has drastically changed. So from a community perspective, we want to provide continued education for those living with addiction around the opportunities they have to be in recovery, such as detox, rehab, For those who are in recovery, early recovery, we want to provide people with education around how to apply for health care, how to get back into employment, how to gain local employment to build up a skill set. For those who have children, K through 12, we want to provide parents with an understanding around social emotional health. How do you recognize signs for concern at the elementary, middle, and high school level before it gets to a place where your child has to go to um, a detox or a rehab? And then I think with the elderly community, we've talked a lot with older folks around disposing of medications and what can happen when someone leaves medications in a household for too long. Really, we want to provide education around treatment options. We want to provide education to parents around social emotional learning. We want to provide education to whole households around how to manage medications that are left. And we really want to provide education to the community around recovery Mm -hmm. and decreasing stigma. Yeah, you just mentioned, uh, I was just thinking that stigma reduction, one of our great partners wound up being the uh, faith community, in particular Trinity Episcopal Church, who uh, started the 2069, hashtag 2069 campaign that we were thrilled, the Safe Coalition was thrilled to support. What a partnership. Right. Ron Tibbetts over there and, yep. and all of them have been an unbelievable partner that we never would have expected. Again, right. three years ago, we did not know how the community was going to embrace this idea and thought process. And much like the communities, Ron Tibbetts has been a leader in his 2069 program and decreasing stigma and having challenging conversations and bringing in guest speakers to his community. And that has made an unbelievable difference. You can drive through any of the towns that the Safe Coalition supports and 
and you will see hashtag 2069 signs, and that is a direct result of a partnership with it a faith-based is. community. It's so well put, Jen. And this morning, I went to get a breakfast sandwich at Elizabeth Bagels, and there was a 2069 sign in the window as you walk in. Elizabeth, thank you very much. I mean, they're leaders. These people, anybody displaying a sign, whether it be at a business or, or an individual on their front lawns or whatever, you are all leaders, your community leaders, in helping bash down this stigma. And the reason why stigma is so bad, Jen, is that it keeps people out of treatment, right? It keeps people in the shadows when they sure. feel like they're they're not worthy or they're they're their illness, they're embarrassed or ashamed over their illness. Sure. And it takes a long time for communities to recognize something as an illness instead of a choice. Mm-hmm. And we live in a community that was not provided education, like most communities in our country, around substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if we have an understanding regionally around one type of illness, it's hard for us to change that. And right. so it takes years and it takes different styles mm-hmm. of opportunities to in, to change that in people's mm-hmm. minds. Jen, so we, we just talked about uh, support and education. Uh, reducing barriers to treatment, what does that mean to the SAFE Coalition? To the SAFE Coalition, um, that really means meeting with people, um, you know, those who are living with addiction and those who are supporting those living with addiction earlier on and talking with them around safe things to do before it gets to a place where you have to go and go to detox and rehab. And even though I say have to go to detox and rehab, if that's what you need, then we 100% support that. So from the coalition perspective, we provide resource books to family members. What do you do now? And while those resources originally were intended to go to households after a significant overdose, what we have recognized is that those booklets are almost better to be handed beforehand because it provides so much information. We also do Narcan and CPR training in the event that someone needs to use the Narcan or that someone needs to revive someone using CPR. We, in addition to Narcan and CPR training, we also have um, folks involved in the coalition that will go out and meet with families if there are concerns. So if you are the parent of a K through 12 child, we have a hidden in plain sight program where we can walk a parent through a mock bedroom to show them signs and concerns of of a child who may be using some kind of substance. And I think all of those avenues clearly have reduced the the barriers to treatment for people not only is it important when somebody makes a call to our resource line that we're able to respond and say, look, here are some treatment numbers. We've got a book. We can refer to that. We're able to respond in that way. But as you said, it's important that we prepare people so that that barrier is reduced and doesn't exist. Right. And we also, over the past few years, have created relationships with police stations. Mm-hmm. Long are the days, or gone are the days, rather, where police believe that they could arrest their way out of these these concerns, these community concerns. And we just said long. Yeah. <laughs> it's been th- four, four or five years, but it right. feels like a long time. Right. And so a, a barrier for people to get treatment was a fear of yes. the police. Yes. And now we have a relationship with the police, and there are task force that, that police are on to help people in the community, both both with a, a compassionate conversation, education around what the next step is for that person, um, a style of conversation that the officer can have with the person who needs more services and the family that they're taking this person away from. And instead of providing charges to someone, there's an opportunity to seek real treatment and support. From a family perspective, we're teaching parents how to have open conversations with their children, how to move through concerns at an earlier age, mm-hmm. what to notice. We are talking with people who are not in recovery 
that about the options that they have if they want to seek more treatment and that they can call us to get them to the next best place. So it's support, education, prevention, reducing the barriers to treatment and reducing stigma. One of the partners that I wanted to focus on for a minute, uh, the Safe Coalition has been doing a lot of work in the public schools and particularly in the Franklin Public Schools through the uh, task force. Can you talk a little bit about the coalition's relationship with the public schools. I would love to talk about our relationship with the public schools. It's something that I'm so proud of and a partnership that I am thrilled that we can can talk about together. So our relationship with the schools has really grown and developed over the past few years. Just like the communities at large, the schools had a challenging time recognizing how to address substance use and how to recognize the stigma around substance use. And so Allowing this partnership to happen, we've been able to meet with parents and with school administration and teachers and counselors around substance use disorder. So this fall with the Franklin Public Schools, we were able to launch a program called Hinden Plain Sight. Mm. And Hinden Plain Sight... And that's an actual mock bedroom that you bring around, right? It sure is. It is a mock bedroom that we bring parents through twice. The first time that we walk them through, they highlight concerns that they see in the bedroom, such as, um, you know, a a poster being upside down, or they see matches in a drawer. Mm -hmm. And then we bring them around a second time and highlight real concerns that we're seeing, such as maybe a vape pen or a tobacco packet. And so what we really like to do is talk with parents after they go through that second time around around how to have conversations with their child. And that has made all the difference. So we're showing people what to look for and we're guiding them and aiding them in how to have conversations. Jen, if somebody wants the Hidden in Plain Sight exhibit in their school, in their community, how, how do they access that? How do they get in touch? They can give us a call. I mean, is it free? To... Yeah, it's free. We okay. would love to. We have um, two different Hidden in Plain Sight um, programs that we can bring to you and we will we will bring it to you. We will set it up. We will (laughs) walk everyone around and and we want to be able to do these kinds of things. Sure. How else are we involved, the Safe Coalition? How else is the Safe Coalition involved with the schools? We have partnered with the health program. Mm -hmm. And so for any of the schools that we're involved in, we bring local folks who are in long-term recovery that are alumni of that school that can talk about their experience of addiction and their journey to recovery. Um, Last year, we had a gentleman... Um, Derek Getchell speak at Franklin High School and there were eight pages of comments from yeah, the students incredible. asking for more information or asking for advice because they were living with addiction in their household or had questions around addiction and it, it would, it's just unbelievable. So you know, Derek is a great example, Jen. I, I just wanted to highlight that for a minute because Derek is a 31-year-old man living in long-term recovery. Uh, he has the the absolutely mind-numbing story uh, that most that accompanies most people with this illness, which is chaos. It involves crime. It involves overdoses, near fatality, living on the streets. He has all of that. However, what Derek focuses on, and it's very interesting to me, it was very interesting watching students um, relate to what he was focusing on, which were the feelings, thoughts, and emotions that led him to feel that drinking and drugging was an appropriate way to numb what he was feeling, as opposed to getting help. And what we're talking about is social emotional learning, which is exactly what the schools are now pushing down into the into the lowest grade levels. It's it's how to become 
a, uh, a, a village, if you will, a community, an educational community that understands that the social and emotional health of the youngest among us is among the most important thing we can develop. And as it relates to substance use disorder is the leading contributing factor to whether or not somebody will suffer as they go on. And so Derek was, was instrumental in bringing that message home. And, and I think that, um, the more we work in the schools, the more I realize how rapidly the field is changing around education. Would you agree? Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. The, goal of school systems, I would say, is to produce healthy-minded and academically well children in a community. And it is incredibly challenging to have high academics and excellent sports if substances are involved. Right. And typically we see substances get involved when the social emotional piece has been disconnected. Mm-hmm. And so if we can can recognize and catch that social emotional piece, piece from an early age, such as depression, anxiety, which really comes out as loneliness from a child, hopefully the outcome will be much different later on. 100%. I want to remind everybody we are speaking with Jennifer Knight, the president of the SAFE Coalition, and Steven Spiewakowski, a founding board member from the SAFE Coalition. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. Importantly, I want to give out the telephone number for the SAFE Coalition. Our telephone number is 508-488-8105. We can also be reached by email at info at safecoalitionma.org. And, of course, we have a Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you'd like to join one of our meetings, we have a community forum, which takes place the first Tuesday of every month from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., and that is at the Municipal Building in Franklin on the third floor in the training room. Please come out and join us. You know, Jen and Steve, another rewarding area that we have had the privilege of participating in is the Franklin Public Schools Substance Abuse Task Force, which is a like a coalition. It's a group of key stakeholders. So you take every principal, every director of health, every vice principal, uh, the recreational director from Ryan Jetty from here in town, the athletic director, Tom Angelo. Uh, the SAFE Coalition has a seat at the table, police officers, mental health counselors. Uh, you take all these people together and literally create a curriculum uh, and augment the current curriculum. We uh, create supportive tools for the community and help to I- find ways to identify earlier on problems that children are having that may one day lead them to having the illness of substance use disorder. It is unique. And there are also students that participate in that task force. And for the schools to recognize that this is an all-hands-on-deck concern is unbelievable. Mm. Jim, we've already referred to social and emotional health a couple of times, and it's so important to understand when you're talking about substance use disorder. Uh, I was wondering if you could just expand on our understanding of what social-emotional health is and why it's important to focus on in our youth. So social-emotional health is something that we really want to focus on right now, social-emotional wellness. So what we have recognized over the past couple decades is that those who are living with addiction typically explain that these concerns started in the elementary and middle school level. So you typically don't have someone who is living with a significant addiction in their teens and 20s that just started. And so 
what we want to focus on is bullying and loneliness and anxiety and depression and having a tough time finishing a math problem. We really want to catch kids before they get to a place where they feel like they need to use substances frequently that leads to an addiction. So would it be fair to say that the understanding now, uh, as opposed to when I grew up, which was Nancy Reagan era of just say no, but rather than the drug being the problem, it's not the drugs, right? Those That's the solution or the perceived solution for somebody with a substance use disorder. Could be gambling, could be overeating, it could be going to the gym too much, something to anesthetize themselves from feelings that just don't feel good, right? Is that what, what you're getting at? I think you're, you are right on target. Any kind of substance is a numbing. It's a numbing of something that, of a void that is, hasn't been filled. And so if from a young age you are not feeling included, you're not feeling part of, you're feeling left out, those types of feelings are only going to increase to depression and anxiety, which are really hard to manage on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not the top athlete in an athletic performing school, you are going to feel left out. Mm-hmm. If you you know, aren't part of a club early on or you don't have the means to be part of certain programs because of your social um, economic status, you feel left out you feel not part of and so I think what the hope going forward is that we can recognize from an early place elementary middle school years students that feel like they are not part of the group and mm-hmm. feeling that they're not part that they're not connected Steve um, is this something that resonates with you you're on you're a probation officer you've been a, a law enforcement professional for now almost 30 years um, is this something that you see can you can you imagine somebody having social emotional problems and then winding up in your system later on if they're unaddressed well you know Jim literally I've I've interviewed hundreds if not thousands right. of people mm-hmm. that have come into the courthouse and and been on probation um, over the years and one of the things that rings in my head as we're all having this discussion is um, and it's a very popular buzzword right now and it's mindfulness right and um, we are fortunate to have on our board right now um, a Norfolk police officer Michelle Palladini yes. who is very skilled uh, if not expert at mind not only practicing mindfulness but teaching mindfulness in the school system and so I think um, in my interpretation of it from speaking with her and, and being involved um, with the mindfulness discussion through this coalition is that uh, mindfulness is really being aware of of your own feelings, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what's going on in your environment, and and being able to coach yourself on how to adapt um, to change in an appropriate way to to make sure that you're okay, (laughs) for lack of a better word. And so I think mindfulness is very important. for the adults in the school system and in the community to be aware of what's going on with the children that this village is trying to raise. Right, right. And so if the adults can practice mindfulness and also teach the kids to be mindful of themselves and their own environment, I think that goes a long way to um, to prevention. And that's really the base that we're talking about, I feel, is just people being in touch with their feelings at an earlier age so that they can more appropriately learn how to cope with adversity in their lives and not have to turn to mind-numbing substances to, to try and deal with things. Right. And, and so the people that I see, yeah. 80 to 85% of them, are, are already there. They're already numbing themselves. And so we're, we're catching them at the tail end. Right. So um, you, you're seeing what we're talking about exactly. here play itself out on a society-wide basis. Yes. I remind everybody, we're speaking with Stephen Spiwakowski. Stephen is a probation officer at Rentham District Court. He's also a founding 
board member with the SAFE Coalition. We're also speaking with the founder of the SAFE Coalition and current president, Jennifer Knight. I shouldn't say current. It's not like you're going anywhere. <laughs> you have no retirement plans. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, ChaptersRadio.com. Steve, um, I know that uh, you have brought a really unique perspective to the board of directors. You've been here since the inception, right? I have, and thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah, but you have brought a really, really great perspective in that you are a probation officer here at the Rentham District Court. So you've seen for many, many, many years, you've been over 20 years a probation officer? I've been 20 years in that court building. Yeah. I've been in the criminal justice system for almost 30. Almost 30 years. So, my gosh, you age well. <laughs> <laughs> He's well-preserved. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, Steve, uh, you have seen the a lot of substance abuse in the court system. I have, and, and really that's what, um, that's what got me involved in this coalition was the, uh, the, the struggles that um, people suffering from substance abuse disorders and families were going through every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I just didn't feel like it was being addressed appropriately by society in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was important for us, to, or for me specifically, to begin dealing with it in a different way, both within the court system and outside the court system. I know, Steve, when I, when I first entered this conversation only three years ago, and that's the, I always have to pinch myself to remember, it was only three or four years ago that we started talking around the table about forming a coalition. Uh, the courts were really seen as an adversary to, to parents and to, and to family members that had loved ones that were, that were suffering from substance use disorder. And the courts, for those that aren't familiar, are very important ally in somebody's um, fight against substance use disorder, particularly when it comes to Section 35, where you actually ask the courts to remand somebody for involuntary treatment should they become a danger to themselves or to other people. Steve, you were instrumental in helping turn that tide locally and helping parents and loved ones understand that the courts are really there to help. Why was that important to you? Well, I mean, Jim, I, I came into the court system at a time um, where the general population and the employees of the court did not really understand substance abuse disorder. Mm -hmm. And so the court really did have a um, sort of a lock them up attitude. Mm -hmm. It was seen as a choice. It was not seen as a disease. Um, Treatment was not often ordered early on when I started. And um, it was only when people started to become educated and honestly, when people started to die Mm -hmm. from this disease Mm -hmm. that um, people stood up and took notice. So, um, I do feel like a lot of the evolution, both in society with this disorder and in the court system, comes from education. Right. And um, the more educated and the more knowledge you have around um, the, the, the base causes of substance abuse disorder, um, what types of families and individuals it affects, how widespread it is, I, I really don't think you have a choice but to sort of alter your, your way of thinking about how how to deal with it. Mm. Um, So many people are suffering um, both directly and indirectly as a result of this. I I think it was really important um, uh, for the court system to sort of change its view on this. And and my experience is that the court has changed its view on this. Jen, one of the, thank you, Steve. One of the powerful things about the coalition is it, and Steve is an excellent example of that, is it brings key stakeholders 
from the community around the table. Steve is a perfect example, the courts. We also have Michelle Kelly, who's the clerk magistrate from the Rentham District Court, Leslie Hazeldine, who is the assistant clerk magistrate uh, from the courts. But we also have other sectors covered by the coalition. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other leadership that we have around the table? Yeah, I would love to. So the coalition is an unbelievably diverse group of people. The board of directors that has come together, while they are concerned citizens, they are also people who hold professional titles in our communities. So we have a state representative, Jeffrey Roy. We have a town selectman, Bob DeLorco. We have a local police officer. We have a retired social worker. Um, We have those who have experience um, in the medical side. Um, Our medical director is a family practitioner. And and so we have all these folks that are coming together. I myself work in mental health and substance use. So from each angle, we have people who have worked in the schools, who worked in the criminal justice system, who are social workers, who work on the political end of 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 the spectrum. And so all of us coming together is a provides an opportunity for us to move into the communities and hear how different areas are dealing with substance use disorder. Jen, I know you're in the middle of getting your PhD in community psychology. I I assume that what I'm about to say is correct, but this is a really great community problem-solving tool, a coalition that is, the model, isn't it it not? It absolutely is, and I think that that was the focus when we first started this program. So the idea behind community psychology is that you hear from the community what the community needs. You don't create a group of people with incredible titles and tell the community what you're going to produce for them. And that is exactly what's happened with the SAFE Coalition. There was a few of us that started the coalition and more people have just joined because they feel drawn to that. And we hear from the community what they need and we create with them opportunities for support. Right. I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with members of the SAFE Coalition. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at Chapters Radio. And one of the big purposes of today's program was to bring people up to speed on some of the really exciting developments that are happening happening at the Safe Coalition. And Jen and Steve, this has been it has been an incredibly busy three to four years for the coalition. It, it's got to seem like just a whirlwind. And and sometimes I know it it's almost incredible having spoken with all of you guys regularly. It's incredible to think of what's been accomplished in such a short period of time. I've never seen anything like it, honestly, and and this is why I'm drawn to this organization and this group of people, because I have been a member of other community-based sort of grassroots organizations before, and what you run into a lot with um, people who come together for a common purpose in the community is you you see a lot of people that have the interest but don't have the tools and don't um, really set... uh, I guess, an active agenda on things sort of punchless, what they want to get done. The thing that's that's amazing about this group of people and the thing that keeps me energized is, number one, the quality of people that are in the room all the time. These are people that care about what happens in society. They care about what happens in the community. And they really um, take steps to take action on, on getting things done, actually having goals, accomplishing those goals. And the things that we have done in the three or four years that we've been in existence are are just mind-blowing to me. I want to remind our listeners, we are with Steven Spiewakowski, a board member from the SAFE Coalition, and Jennifer Knight, the president of the SAFE Coalition. My name's Jim Derrick. 
This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And importantly, I do want to give the phone number out for the coalition. Should you or a loved one find yourself struggling with substance use disorder, or if you just want more information, our telephone number is 508-488-8105. You can also reach out to us at info at safecoalitionma.org. So, Jen and Steve, uh, one of the big reasons why we're doing this interview is we want to highlight what is new with the SAFE Coalition. We have a lot going on. We have a lot to <laughs> chat about. <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely. So I think one of the, the most recent and exciting things that has gone on with the coalition is that in the past, we have heard from those in the community that they would like more Narcan trainings and they would like the availability of Narcan in the community. And so we applied to the state for this opportunity. And a few months later we were able to gain that. The Safe Coalition applied to the state for something called an MCSR license. That allows us to purchase, train, and distribute Narcan. So what we have done is we have trained the board of directors on Narcan. So this is, this is really interesting because I don't believe there are other a lot of other resources uh, that are able to do what we're talking about. That the co- that means to train and dispense and inventory Narcan. Is am I wrong about that? You are right, right on, Jim. It is daunting to try and apply to the state for an MCSR license that would give someone like a nonprofit organization the availability to purchase, train, and distribute Narcan. It's incredible. And so we are in a really great place to provide all of our nine communities with Narcan and Narcan training. And for those that don't know, um, Narcan's pretty pretty much spoken about regularly uh, in the news, but Narcan is an opioid overdose reversal drug. It's a temporary reversal until somebody can get themselves into uh, the care of uh, medical professionals. But it's an important drug in that it is literally saving countless amount of lives. I mean, for if we lose 70,000 people, uh, which is a horrific figure, uh, we'll probably lose to overdoses in the next year or so. We're probably saving at least four times that number, maybe more, uh, through the use of Narcan. So this is a, a, a complete game changer when you have this on the street, right, Jen? And it enables somebody to get into treatment, give them one more chance at treatment. Absolutely. And while it's wonderful to have more Narcan out in the community, it's also incredible for us to be able to meet and educate people who are close to those who are living with addiction. Because anyone that's coming to any of our Narcan trainings is hopeful about the person that they love, even if they're having a challenging relationship with them at the moment. And sometimes when people come to our Narcan trainings, we're able to talk with them about other opportunities, such as learn to cope programs, such as a 12 step for parents. And that person may not have had those opportunities if they did not come to this training. Sure. Big, big news getting that Narcan license. And Steve, I know another thing that I hear a lot about in the community are some of the supports that are available to people that are struggling. One in particular is the relationship that uh, the Safe Coalition has with local police departments. And indeed, the Franklin Police Department is a notable partner of, of the Safe Coalitions. Can you talk a little bit about the type of support that we provide people that are struggling, uh, whether it be through the police or to those people directly? 
Well, I, I, again, I think that's another relationship that has changed and evolved um, over the past couple of years. Um, when we first formed as a coalition, our concentration really was on educating police officers in substance abuse disorders and how to more appropriately react with the community around that. I, I think that a lot has been accomplished, not only in conjunction with this coalition and in partnership with it, um, but also with the general attitude of the police department and how they, for example, um, feel about people that they administer Narcan mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. and what kind of things that they can do for the families. One of the things that the local police departments are doing um, that we have facilitated is the distribution of the What Do I Do Now um, booklets that uh, we developed a couple of years ago that's now going to a second edition. Um, those uh, booklets, it's a bright lime green booklet, you can't miss it in a room, um, is sort of a, and I'm I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but a substance abuse for dummies. Right. Um, as we all know, nobody is dreaming when they're nine years old. I, I'd love to be 18 years old and be suffering from substance abuse disorder. And so individuals and families aren't trained in how to deal with this stuff. And so we decided to provide this booklet that could assist families um, by providing um, different types of resources, uh, both community-based and residential-based. Um, our, our assistance number is printed in the book, so we get calls um, to assist families. It walks you through the Section 35 uh, process, which is a civil commitment civil commitment process right. through the courts. It's really an A to Z guide. And, and you were the chair of that committee, Steve. And without a doubt, that has been what I know uh, watching this thing unfold and continually be reprinted. You can't keep them in stock. Without a doubt, been one of the most successful and sustainable sustainable successful and enduring things, resources that the coalition has developed. And it's a great example of the collaboration we have around the table between people like yourself at the courts that understood the needs for need for that because you see families that are desperate every day in your courthouse for information. So you knew it was needed. We and did. then you had the expertise around the table and your committee members to collaborate and come up along with the rest of the people around the table with a really, really valuable tool that now rides in Every police cru cruiser in the uh, Rentham District Court area, it's in schools, it's in libraries, it's in town halls, it's on people's kitchen tables. It's really providing a, a helping hand. And we can't keep them in stock. Right. And, I mean, it, it, it's not only the expertise that was around the table, it was the dedication mm. and really the really ardent desire of the people that were involved to get this thing out there so that we could expedite people getting help when they needed it. Mm -hmm. Jen, if somebody is in trouble and, and they're... Um, uh, seeking assistance either through the police or themselves. What else can the coalition do for them? Well, the coalition has a few different opportunities for people to seek support, whether the, the people that are looking for support are those living with addiction or their family or friends. And so um, we do have a few opportunities. So in Franklin, we have a Learn to Cope group. In Milford, there is a group, a 12-step group for parents. Uh, but we also have a Grandparents Raising Grandchildren group that's at the YMCA. We have the peer-to-peer -peer group on Wednesday nights for high school students. We have a child life specialist that will visit a family just after a life-changing event such as an overdose. I, I, I just want to stop you right there for a minute. That is something that uh, I know you brought to the table. Uh, the name of our uh, grief support uh, uh, person is Megan Brewer, who you knew, and she is an expert in uh, helping particularly young, but anybody, deal with the sudden onset of grief, meaning a, a crisis, a traumatic event such as an overdose. And 
this, the coalition has actually sent her out to constituents of the coalitions to help them deal with those initial 24, 48 hours. Is that right? That's right. Because of kind of what what Steve had said, we have a wonderful relationship now with most of the police departments in the towns that the Safe Coalition works within. What typically happens is the police will call our support line. They'll let us know if there was some incident and that a family is open to meeting with Megan Brewer, who's the child life specialist. And we will talk with Megan. We'll give her an update around what's going on. And Megan will reach out to that person. Sometimes what happens is a family just really needs someone to talk to in that moment. Mm -hmm. Other times, Megan has gone out and created memories Mm -hmm. with the children or the parents Mm -hmm. of their child. And maybe their child hasn't passed away, Mm -hmm. but they may be in the hospital. And so Megan is really able to guide them uh, with understanding what they're going through right in that moment. And then what we're able to do at the coalition end is create an opportunity for them to seek long-term um, counseling support. And there's so many great examples that we could point to in everything you just said, but there's another example of the power of a coalition identifying a need in the community, an immediate grief support, filling that need uh, by getting volunteers around a table that had their ears to the to the uh, road, of the pavement, if you will, and um, collaborating with police and other agencies to realize there was a hole there and, and it could be filled by us. So that's that's really, really powerful. Uh, before we go any further, I just wanted to give some really important information. If you or a family member is struggling and you'd like to get a hold of the Safe Coalition, please don't hesitate to call the coalition. The number is 508-488-8105. You may get a voicemail. You will get a call back within 24 hours or so. It's not a crisis line. It's a resource line meant for information and support, a lot like you've been hearing today on this program. If you want to reach uh, the coalition by email, you can go to info at safecoalitionm, as in Mary, A as in Apple, dot org, and that will get you to the email address. You can always go to the website, which is safecoalitionma.org. There's a Facebook, Twitter page, and now an Instagram page. So there's a lot of ways to get hold of us. You could certainly walk into a town hall in any one of the communities we represent. And what are those communities, Steve, that we represent? It's all the Rentham Court uh, communities. There's eight, and then plus we serve Mansfield. So there's, and bear with me because I always... okay. All the way from Medway through... So Foxborough, Plainville, Rentham... Medway, Millis, Norfolk. <laughs> All right, we'll just we're just going to leave Rentham District okay, Court. Rentham District Court. So I'll just I'll yeah. at that for a second. So so we represent uh, eight. Uh, Nine or is it eight? Nine communities it's, altogether. Safe Coalition represents nine communities all the way from Medway all the way down to as far as Mansfield. And and that doesn't mean that we won't take a call or support another community that calls in, but that's, that's currently what the corporate charter calls for. Um, Jen, there are some other important supports that the coalition provides, and, and I know that, that we've gotten a lot of feedback that these do work, and it has to do with us angeling people through some difficult times. Can you talk a little bit about that? I would love to. We have two opportunities to meet with people in a time of crisis where they're trying to figure out what the next best step for themselves or their loved one might be. The first is that we provide an opportunity to meet someone at a courthouse and guide them through the Section 35 process. Mm -hmm. That means that we are sitting with someone, we are recognizing that this is an unbelievably emotional and difficult exchange that they have to write on on paper and possibly speak publicly around things that are happening in their household or to their loved one. And so we 
kind of just sit with someone and talk with them and recognize from a peer perspective that this is exhausting. And what does a Section 35 do again? So a Section 35 is an opportunity for someone to be civilly committed I, civilly committed yeah, i was gonna okay. anything i was gonna say was not Just gonna say be appropriate it's, it's a civil for, commitment it's a civil commitment a section 35 is a civil commitment to a detox and rehabilitation program for 90 days mm-hmm. up to up 90 to days, up to 90 yep. days. Yep. Yep. and it's it's designed for people in imminent harm right steve that's correct it, the the section 35 law was originally developed for people who are um, suffering from alcoholism but as we know, that whole conversation has changed. And so the level of imminent harm and different ways to prove that has evolved as well. So the Section 35 law itself has evolved to change with the times. And uh, it is the, the standard of proof in the courtroom is imminent harm. Imminent harm. Anybody who sticks a needle in their arm, I mean, that's that's imminent harm right sure, there. Sure. And and so it is, it's a tool, again, a tool for... Uh, parents, for uh, loved ones, for uh, certain people that, that are able under the code, police officers, counselors, to be able to, when someone can't, is physically unable to advocate for themselves, it's, it gives them a tool to advocate for them and to say, look, they may not want this treatment, but without it, they're not going to, they may not make it. So we need to get them into to treatment. And Jen, that angel process is important because I, I can only imagine the emotions that go through someone's mind as they go to commit a loved one. Absolutely. And I think that these conversations start even before we get to the courthouse. And this is part of what we wanted to do with the coalition is provide prevention options, provide education and then have the professionals do the next step, which may be filling out the Section 35 forms Mm -hmm. and going before a judge. And so what we have seen with the coalition is meeting with a family beforehand, maybe a couple days before they go to the court, having conversations with them over the phone around what this might look like, talking with them on their drive to the courthouse, sitting with them on those court benches as they are scared and concerned, but also know that this may be the only thing that's going to save their loved one's Mm -hmm. life. You know, as I I listen to this, I imagine somebody driving along, I do want to give that that number out again. 508-488-8105 will put you in touch with the Safe Coalition. Please don't hesitate to call. Uh, The only bad question is a question not asked. Um, And I promise you, I'm looking at two of the kindest people that represent the entire board of directors um, and most helpful people that you could ever find. Um, It's been an honor to work with them uh, for the last several years and um, really, really doing great things. And Jen, another thing that, that this and Steve uh, that that this epidemic has brought on is a whole host of grandparents raising their grandchildren and can you talk a little bit about some of the dynamics that would find a family actually in their 70s suddenly with two toddlers to raise I think I I might be able to speak from the community perspective. So from a community perspective, when this coalition started, our agenda was to create a support group for grieving parents or loved ones of someone living with addiction. I had no idea that there were grandchild that there were grandparents raising grandchildren. And so one of the unbelievable things, again, that the coalition has brought to the table is this unbelievable awareness that people are having to give up the rights of their children, even for a short amount of time and the next person to take them would be grandparents. So it's incarceration, it's it's the need for treatment, it's right. anything that goes along with this illness. And by the way, it is an illness and we can talk about that later, but yeah. anything that goes along with that. And so now you, I can only imagine, Steve, you're close to my age or maybe I'm a little older than you, but uh, I can, Jennifer just had her first baby. I can only <laughs> imagine 
bringing up with the relatively low level of energy I have to dedicate to kids right now on a full-time basis to kids. Well, there there are a whole host of issues that come along with that, and I I don't have a whole lot of personal experience with um, having to raise uh, a grandchild because of substance abuse issues. Um, But, uh, you know, we... We what we do as a as a coalition is we try to keep our ear to the ground and mm. we try to educate ourselves on an ongoing basis about the issues and that's why we I think we've been around this long is because we do listen mm. and uh, I was just no, gonna, yeah go ahead I was just going to say some of the issues that are coming up are. Um, you know, uh, parents, uh, grandparents raising children and having to deal with all the financial um, stress that comes along with that. And how do you apply, you know, once they get uh, graduation time, how do they apply for scholarships and how do they get them into schools and how do they assume guardianship and what steps they have to go through to get through probate court to solve those guardianship issues. And that's a that another thing that nobody Daunting. signed up for. Yeah. And so we're doing our best as a coalition to just plug people into those types of resources to educate them on to sort of smooth their transition through these times because they're difficult en- enough as it is sure is so there'll be a support group and please keep an eye on the facebook page uh sign up on our for our email list which you can do on the website uh make sure you stay in touch so that you're aware when these support systems come out jennifer and steve there was recently some really cool news that came up relative to the coalition with a new uh partnership uh on a uh, rather substantial grant that was awarded through the federal government. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jen? I would love to. Over the summer, I was contacted by Wayside Youth Services out of Milford, and they were interested in partnering together to write a grant to gain funds to provide opportunities for support for those ages 5 to 18 and their caretakers who were victims of the opioid epidemic. And this was this was incredible for us because we have been working in our nine communities. We recognize that there are children that are not getting all the services that they could. And we, as a coalition of volunteers, could only do so much at the moment. And so we partnered with Wayside. We wrote up a grant. We submitted the grant. And we found out about three weeks ago that we are the recipients of that grant. And a bit more about that grant. It's a three-year program. And we are requested to cover 27 towns. 27 communities, including all of the communities that we currently represent. So this will be a a new challenge, but by the same token, how exciting to be able to bring this whole new level of professional services to a community that never would have had these services had the coalition not been born. It is likely, likely. Right. It's an unbelievable opportunity for people to get support and kind of piggybacking on what we talked about earlier, that social emotional wellness piece can now truly be addressed. I mean, if we are meeting with people at the age of five and their families, we have such an opportunity to provide options for support at such a younger age. And so the hope is that the Safe Coalition is not going to be addressing these styles of issues in another 10 years because we have a grant like this for for support for youth sure to help you know steve as i'm sitting here i'm thinking about how different the landscape and that's a word that always comes to my mind the landscape is right now relative to substance use disorder um i know that as somebody walking around the town here i've been here since 1986 but you know in the community in general people didn't talk about this three or four years ago did they really they really didn't. And I mean, stigma is a big part of the discussion that we are often struggling against um, when when we're 
interacting with the community in regards to substance abuse disorder. And I, you know, my personal experience is that even over the last two or three years, the tide has turned on the stigma issue. There is some, I'm not going to lie, there's still some stigma out there. There's still people and there always will be that don't understand substance abuse disorder and don't empathize or sympathize with it. But um, so many more people in all walks of life, in all areas of support, from police officers to the court system to teachers to um, parents to school children, uh, thanks to some of the things that we're doing, really have a better understanding of what substance abuse disorder is, that it is a disease, and that it's an issue that needs to be dealt with um, because oftentimes, more, more times than we would like, to, one is too many. It leads to, to, to death. And um, and we're doing everything that we can do to sure. combat the stigma issue. And, and the beauty of this coalition, Jen, is that is that now you can literally, because of all the myriad and diverse stakeholders that we have around the table, you can walk into almost any organization, be it a, a be it a, a, a community of faith, be it a town hall, be it an emergency room, a police a police station, anywhere, and find people that have a understanding, a base level understanding probably have the green resource guide and know the coalition and the phone number. They may even come to our meetings or be on our board. It's really different, isn't it? It is so different. And I think social media is a wonderful support as well. Because of stigma, like Steve had mentioned, there are a lot of people that are still living in the shadows and addiction is within their household or within their family. And they are too nervous to go out and join a support group or reach out for help or walk into a police station and pick up a green book or come to a Narcan or CPR training. And the more that we can reach people in their homes through social media, we want to create a conversation and a dynamic and we want to plant seeds. We want to share with people that they aren't alone, that there are other people moving through this and that we are open and available to talk with you in a group setting, in a one-on-one setting, in a courthouse, in a school system, at a police station, at a fire department, in a church setting, in a doctor's office. We are there to have a conversation with you. Even though you may be scared or nervous, we're here to do it with you. I want to remind everybody, I am speaking with Jennifer Knight and Steve Spiewakowski from the SAFE Coalition. They're both board members. Jennifer is the president. Steve, you are the newly elected secretary. Congratulations. Thank you very much. My name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can reach my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And in the few minutes that we have left, I did want to talk to people about how they can get involved with the coalition and what what is the community's role. After all, it is their coalition. It's our coalition as a community. How does someone get involved? We would love volunteers. As we've just talked about during this entire episode, there's a lot that the coalition is doing, and we do work in all nine towns. And we would love to provide opportunities in each nine of those towns with all of these resources. And so if someone wants to volunteer, the best way to do that is to visit our website and write us an email. That's safecoalitionma, as in Massachusetts, dot org. Right. Email is info at safecoalitionma. MA.org. If you send an email, someone will reach out. There will be a volunteer request form that will be sent to you, and we'll start the process. Right. That's that's fantastic. And and what other types of needs, Steve, does the coalition have? Uh, well, first, before I get to that, I do want to reiterate about the volunteers. Yeah. The great thing about uh, volunteering with the SAFE Coalition is you can do as little or as much as you would like great to do. Great point. And so um, by filling out the volunteer form, you're not signing your life away. You're not... 
um, agreeing to engage actively in every single event that we do. We would be appreciative of any little contribution that you would like to make as a volunteer, whether it be uh, showing up for one event and setting up or, or getting trained in different areas that we have available and, and facilitating different types of groups. It could be as little or as much as you would like it to be. Meetings, by the way, community meetings, are the first Tuesday of every month at the Franklin Municipal Building. That's in the third floor training room. Again, uh, reach out to us, 508-488-8105, if you'd like more information or if you just want to check in and see what those meetings are all about. The community meetings are just a general place for people to find out what is going on at the coalition, how can they help, and importantly, what ideas do they have that maybe we could all collaborate on new ideas, right? It's a, it's really an open environment. Those community meetings, I think, are one of the most important things that we do because that's where we as a coalition have our chance to listen to what the community's needs and wants are. Right. And that's, that's why we have been able to do the things that we have been able to do because we go to those meetings. The board members are always present at those meetings. We provide opportunities for people that are in recovery to speak. We provide opportunities for people who are opening programs mm -hmm. or are interested in opening a program or interested in trying to find a program to, to speak in an open uh, forum. So those community meetings are a very important cog in the machine of what we do. So anybody that's interested in having a discussion around a substance abuse disorder and what they should do or how they can become involved, the best first step is to attend one of those community meetings. At the so Franklin well put. Town. It's one of the more incredible environments I've ever been exposed to. It really to, is. You know? And so we encourage you to come on down to one of our meetings. Again, it's the Safe Coalition MA org is where you can reach us on the internet, 508-488-8105. Please come down to a community meeting. You can find Jennifer Knight, our president, at any of those meetings. You will also find Steve Spiewakowski at any of those meetings. He usually brings food, which is great. And um, I certainly would hope to meet you there. We're going to take the program out with a song about recovery by a great friend of the coalition's, Mike Zito. This is One Step at a Time. I wanted too much, never worked hard enough. I was blaming God for not being there. I thought I was the only one, I never got anything done. I was hiding in anger and fear on that high and lonesome road. One step at a time I trust these feet of mine To carry me on where I belong I will lay my burden down Down on that solid ground Maybe one day I'll know How to quiet down this crazy soul mm, One step at a time I was living too hard Breaking everyone's heart Losing my friends again and again Looking back, I wish I had known I didn't have to walk alone But I got lucky 
got a chance to make amends on that high and lonesome road. Yes, one step at a time. I trust these feet of mine to carry me on to where I belong. And I will lay my burden down, down on that solid ground. One day, maybe I'll know how to quiet down this crazy soul. One step at a time.